You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Well, welcome, y'all. It's good to have you here, and it's good uh, to be gathered together, both online and in person, for this, our last in the series called Replenish. And as Hunter mentioned, next week we start a four-week series on the Beatitudes. That's in chapter 5 of Matthew, by the way. So you can start reading that portion of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, some of you might know them. Like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to go through just four of the Beatitudes in the coming weeks and show that that is really the blessed life, okay? That's what the blessed life is all about. Okay, so, um, but now, today, we're finishing off this series called Replenish with a focus on reframing, And I'll explain why this is maybe the one that brings them all together, okay? Brings them all together. I don't know if you realize this. You may. We live in a time and a culture that your faith and your values are asked to be put in the closet. You can have them, no problem. Just don't bring them out and let me have to hear about them. Uh, You can have them and let them affect your life, but don't bring them out to bear on anything that's going on in our society, okay? Um, You can have them, but don't let them affect the real world, whatever that is. Now, the acceptable framework to look at our world and how we converse today is in terms of economics almost more than anything else. You know, it's how we make more, how we get more. You know, the economy has become the end-all and be-all in our society. I don't know if you've realized that or not. And if it's not that, it's going to be politics or entertainment or science or nationalism or patriotism, for example, but not faith and not religion. Those subjects are now just in your private life. Now, we can go down the rabbit hole of exactly why this has happened in our society and Western civilization, by, um, by, uh, and that could be a whole college-level course, by the way. Okay, So we're not going to go quite there. I'm going to give you an oversimplification today of why we are where we are on this. Number one, first of all, sadly, religion over the last 500 years has been used as the fuel both for racial tensions, for um, political means, for um, (laughs) the reason why we dehumanize or objectivize others and treat them as things to be destroyed even in our society because this is, God is on our side. Have you heard that form before? And that's been used. And so Western intellectuals uh, hundreds of years ago saw how religious wars were ripping Europe apart and the world apart and said, we got to get religion out of the public sphere because that's causing all the problems. Now, that was one reason religion has been kind of sidelined. Another one, though, is that the whole Enlightenment movement has really been a throwing off of every authority outside of the self. That is, really the only thing I should use is my mind, my reason, my will, what I want. And the self has been elevated to the position of making all decisions and the only arbiter of truth. And so it wasn't just a noble cause because religion was used in the wrong way. By the way, 
Um, there have been as many wars going on since religion has been sidelined as ever before. And atheism and nationalism and patriotism and economics and politics and ideologies have been used to do the same thing. You just, it's not saying war is inevitable, but boy, we can justify it for whatever way we want, right? And it's all about power issues, right? So, um, but in the end, as a result, and that's an oversimplification of both the um, get religion out because it's causing conflict and get your faith and stuff back in the closet because I want to just make the decisions for myself and don't tell me what to do. We are where we are. The result is that now you're supposed to navigate this world and see this world through the lens of politics or economics or nationalism or some other framework. And so all the media basically uses those, you know, money, power, pleasure, something as the way they tell their stories. Now, another name for this, by the way, is this wonderful word, hermeneutics. Can you say hermeneutics? Gee, I knew you could. Yeah, I know that's a long word, big word. It basically means the art of interpretation, okay? So um, one person, Jen Zimmerman, wrote this little introduction to hermeneutics, and he wrote this. He said, one is engaged in hermeneutics whenever one tries to grasp the meaning of something, be it a conversation, a newspaper article, a Shakespeare play, or an account of past events. In other words, you're always asking the question, what does this mean? Anybody hear that one before? That's hermeneutics. Or the question, how does this impact me? Or what difference does it make? Or what, how is my fate tied in with this or that account or this or that story? Okay? So we're always asking those questions. You're always trying to figure out what does this mean and how do I fit this into the rest of reality? And how does this affect everything that's going on? And you're always, so basically, it matters what you see, but it matters even more through what you see it, the lens you use, the framework you put it in, okay? Life, if you look through the lens of money, pleasure, and power, that basically all of our society is telling you to do it, well, you're going to become depleted and diminished and exhausted. Life becomes a competition, and at some point, you're going to lose. But instead... If you look through the lens of faith that we're going to look at in Psalm 73 today, if you, better yet, the lens of God's grace, God's plan, God's story, when you look through that lens at everything that's going on in this world, and today it's pretty chaotic, and we're probably in one of the most turbulent times in my life, um, and uh, maybe in yours as well, then you can see these same events everybody else is seeing, but you can see them through the lens of God's grace and God's purpose and God's plans. And instead of being exhausted or become cynical or survivalist, you can be replenished. So today we're going to conclude this series by looking at Psalm 73, a psalm by a man named Asaph. And he was the author of this psalm. And he, in this psalm, says he, we need to reframe, just like he did, what, 2,500, 2,800 years ago. 
So let's read Psalm 73, and we're not going to read the whole thing. It's a long psalm. It's worth reading at home. It's worth reading during the week. It's one of my favorites. It's a wisdom psalm, some say, a psalm of trust, others say. And we're going to read verses 1 to 3 and then 12 through 26. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart, flesh, and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Reframe. We're going to be looking at how to reframe. We're going to do it under three points, and we're going to just take them one at a time. The first is this, how easy it is for us to get disoriented in life by what's going on. Now, the psalmist puts it this way. Asaph says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Um, have you ever heard of a lawyer who specializes in slip and falls? Seriously, there are some. I think um, I, you can probably watch the ads on TV and you'll see they even say slip and falls. You know, that kind of is shorthand for when you're in a grocery store like Publix Dave, right? And there's a grape in the produce aisle on the floor and somebody comes in and goes whoops and it slips and falls. Cha-ching, lawsuit, lots of money right there. That's it. Or if you were from the great white north, how many of you used to live up north here? And, you know, in the middle of the winter, you go and you see your front porch or your back porch, and it looks clear and clean, but you don't realize there's a sheet of ice on it. And you get out there and go, Whoa, and all of a sudden, you almost slip and fall, but you catch yourself. Have you ever done that? Perfect video for America's Funniest Videos, right? Most of those, a lot of those that win like $10,000 are slip and falls in one form or another, the unexpected. Well, the psalmist is saying when he looked at the world and the arrogant rich people around him, the people in Israel, this was within the nation of Israel itself. It wasn't people outside. It was people next door to him. And then he saw how they lived and how they boasted and how they had everything easy in life. He almost got disoriented. He almost lost it. My feet almost slipped. So, what does this say? Anybody's going to face this. Asaph himself, 
Here he is, a writer of the scriptures. Just think about that. He is inspired by God as he is writing this down, and he is saying he almost lost it. He got totally disoriented. He was looking at the way the world set up through the eyes of the way the world wanted to see it, and he's going like, this doesn't make any sense. Have you been saying that lately? Just a few times, right? So he, it's normal to be thrown off of kilter. If you are right now, you are in good, hand, uh, good company with Asaph and other people of God throughout the ages. It's normal to be thrown out of whack by the injustices that you see in this world, how powerful people can keep the system set up so that they can stay in charge. By arrogant people who get rewarded for being arrogant and applauded for it. By takers and users. By the fact that racism still is present in our systems and is still not quite right. And the system keeps going. By dictators who get away literally with murder. By crime syndicates who live in luxury. This world is set up in such a way, and it has been ever since I was a child. Sometimes we see it more prominently than others, but the world is set up that people who promote themselves, who are proud and ruthless and manipulative and egocentric, stay on top. And they set the culture up and their laws up so they can stay there. The world rewards people who exploit others. Have you noticed? And they get more money and more power. That's what Asaph is saying. And it almost threw him off. And when he sees it, he says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. In other words, he's saying, Why am I living the good? Why am I trying to be honest? Why am I trying to be in, have integrity? Why am I trying to be a person who cares about others? Nobody else seems to be. And they get away with it. He even became, it says, envious. And he became envious because he started evaluating his life by their standards. Do you know how that happens? (laughs) It's so easy to do. He was starting to live his life on their terms to see the world and interpret events through the lens of self-interest and competition. And all of a sudden, the moment he did that, he actually betrayed who God had made him, and he betrayed God's purposes in this world. And he had started to frame his world in terms of economics, money, power, or pleasure. 2,800 years ago, it was happening. Still happening today. So this is how... Asaph put it when he thought about all these things. He said, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. You know, that word wearisome is actually the Hebrew word amal, okay? And that's a nice little Hebrew word there. It means troublesome, laborious, toilsome. You ever do something that just seems like it's never ending? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hoeing beans when I was a kid. I don't know if any of you ever worked on a farm, but this was in the day before Roundup or any of those uh, chemicals or anything. And my uh, uncles owned uh, farms, Navy beans, and I helped one day was enough for me. 
um, to go out and hoe beans through like 150 acres and you're just going down and it's like this is never ending. And I felt like the moment I got done, I had to start the field over again because the weeds had already grown back. You know, that's how it, laundry can feel like this. You know, almost any job can feel like this. Fascinating, this word amal occurs eight times in which book of the Old Testament can you think would have this word? Job. There you go. That's what it's like. Trouble, toilsome, weariness. Job faced that. What's fascinating, it occurs twice in just this one psalm. The same word. In verse 5 where he says, the arrogant, which we didn't read verse 5. You can look it up. But the arrogant themselves, they never faced this kind of stuff. They seem to have lives of ease. They've got a smooth ride. And then in verse 16, where Asaph, trying to figure out, why is this world set up all cattywampus, backward, chaotic? Why are these people getting? He said, this was troublesome. It was weariness. It was exhausting to try for him to figure out how this world is set up until, until, you see, if you're going to let the world set the debate, if they're going to set the questions of the debate, you're going to be exhausted. Don't look through the framework of what the world wants you to look through, whether it's nationality or politics or democracy or even capitalism. You look through whatever lens outside of the one that God gives us in his word and his story, you're going to get exhausted. You're going to be depleted until Asaph was in the same position, until he realized, and this is how we're going to reframe. This is our second point. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. We reframe the world when we enter God's presence, as we did in worship at this morning, whenever you open God's word, whenever you are opened up to God's presence in your life, and you place God's story at the center of how we interpret the world and see things in terms of their ultimate goals. So hermeneutics, like I said, is the art of interpretation. And a lot of Bible st students and scholars even think, okay, here I am, here's the Bible, how do I interpret the Bible? The reality is this, I don't interpret the Bible, the Bible needs to be interpreting me. That's the point, that's the reframing. The story of God's grace and God's promises throughout the scriptures from Genesis through Revelation the whole story, the whole storyline of how he worked with people here, there, and that needs to interpret my life. That's the way I can make sense out of what's going on because God is the one who is telling me who I am, what's my problems, where my situation really is, what my hope is, what my future is. God is the one who's sharing his story and weaving me into his story, and then I understand how the world is set up. That's what Asaph says when I entered into the holy presence of God, the sanctuary of God, that's when I figured out what was really going on. The word of God tells me who I am. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? 
and what God is doing about it and what God's ultimate end is for the world. And when I use that as the framework, it's a very subversive act, by the way, you get to do every day to say, no, this is the storyline that, that's actually happening, and this is where it's going to end up, and I'm a part of that. All of this, as the psalmist says, finally, is just a fantasy. Phantoms, a wisp, makes no sense. It's a lot of puffed up arrogance, a lot of breath, a lot of wasted time. Reframe by letting God's story interpret you. Now, the sad thing is, during this pandemic, over the last few months, I've read a couple of uh, different uh, research studies, polls of Christians in this country. And the sad thing is, 50% of churchgoers over the last month or two have stopped watching online, stopped getting involved at all in church. They've just dropped out. Now, maybe they think, well, I've heard it all. I know it all. I don't really need any more. I've got all the information up here. And then on top of it, Pew Research just came out this week that Bible reading hasn't gone up. It has actually gone down during the pandemic. Now, we don't even have sport. We just started having sports again on TV. We don't have the movie theaters. We don't have a lot going on. And yet, instead, we're not even reading the scriptures. To, and here's the problem with all this. When I stop letting God's word speak to me, when I stop hearing his story, another story is going to come in and tell you what your life is all about. It's too easy to do. Asaph was falling for it until he went into the sanctuary of God. You and I, we are not strong enough to just keep this up here. I've got the information. I kind of heard it once. That's good enough. I need to hear and rehear and hear again how I fit into God's plans, what his plans are for this world and where things are going. And when I stop being involved in that story, then my life starts to be interpreted by something else. I mean, honestly, how are you going to know how much you're worth? The world tells you it's by your paycheck or by your productivity or by the power that you have in the political party that you happen to be a part of. Does it work? No. It doesn't tell you your worth, where your destiny is, you know, the direction of your life. Can anybody actually tell you where your future is going except for God himself? Now, the rich may be rich for a while, and the powerful may be powerful for a while, but once they start trusting in their riches or their power, it only lasts a moment, this psalm says, and it's over like a phantom. You've got to hear God's story. You've got to know his story. You've got to be a part of his story. You've got to let it interpret you. It's the only way I make sense of all the things that are going on today. Otherwise, I'd have no idea which way the world's going. But I know the ultimate future and the ultimate direction God has already set up in Jesus Christ. And no matter how the nations might rage and everybody plot in vain, they will never, ever disestablish Jesus as the king of the universe. So God looks at your life right now, and you might say, right now I'm going through some hard times. It's been tough. 
man, I don't know, it just feels like everything's going the wrong way in my life, you know? The economics are going in this direction. My job seems to be up for grabs. I don't have, I'm totally socially isolated from others. It seems like these people and these people are making decisions over the way our society's going and it seems like they're being a little cavalier about human life. But what does God say to you? God isn't punishing you. He's not paying you back going through a tough time. He may be maturing you, refining you, drawing you closer to him through this time. What Asaph says in this psalm is that God is with you. God is for you. God cares for you. He weeps with you. He leads you. He carries you. You are absolutely loved by God. His hand is upon you. Nevertheless, he will use that word, nevertheless, the nearness of God is my good. Nevertheless, you are with me. Now, you might be saying, well, John, I'm not facing any of those bad times. I know other people are, but actually my job is very secure and things are going well and I don't know anybody who's got COVID-19 and, um, you know, my life is just fine. It's just I have to turn off the news and then everything's okay. And God would be speaking to you and saying, nevertheless, it's not your wealth. It's not your job. It's not your, you know, it's not all the things that you can... Those things, they're good. They're my gifts to you. But don't trust in them more than me. Because that, that's a temptation. Your life is worth much more than all the gold you could ever get in Fort Knox or every painting that you have in the Louvre Museum. Do you understand? You are of more value to God than anything. And even your not, nothing that you have, not all the possessions. Jesus put it this way. He said, for what will a pro, it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You can't put a price tag on God's value. The only price tag that God has ever put on you is the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. Not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ has he redeemed you. In other words, this is what you're worth at the cross. What a difference does that make? That's our third point today. Asaph says this, until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. You know what we think these days, what the world counts on, money, power, position, pleasure, they turn out to be the very things that Asaph says, now that I've reframed the world going into the, you said them, I'm not on the slippery place, they are. They're ready to slip and fall. They're precarious. They feel so secure and so full of themselves and they are gonna fall. It is inevitable. You know, it's kind of been fascinating to watch, right? Um, that through this pandemic, all the things that we counted on to kind of give our lives meaning or significance have been stripped from us. You know, all of a sudden, 
Sports are gone. A lot of entertainment venues are gone. Uh, getting together in groups is gone. Uh, you know, jobs situation. Um, politics seems to be more of a problem than a solution. <laughs> I mean, everything that we counted on, even our nation's status in the world, is really up for question. I think everything existentially is coming down to like. And ASAP would say, of course. Those are all slippery slopes. Don't trust in those things. It's not that that gives you security. And ASAP does not. And I think a lot of people could become cynical in life through all this. And, eh, you know. <laughs> and survivalist. But instead, ASAP becomes even more profound in his faith. And I love the, these are worth memorizing. Psalm 73, 23 to 26, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Wow. Those are worth speaking to yourself again and again to reframe what's really important in this world and where you're at. Whatever your present situation is, regardless of who seems to be winning in our society right now, God is interpreting your life and saying, nevertheless, over it, I am with you. I hold you by my right hand. I guide you with my counsel. I will receive you into glory. You have me. Nothing on earth can get in the way of that. Your heart, your flesh may even fail, but I will be your strength, your portion, your strength and heart and portion forever. There is nothing to get in the way. And because you know that you are held on by God, that he holds you in the palm of his hand, that he has a future for you, that he is your future, then that makes all the difference of how you can live today. Wolfhart Pannenberg said it this way, only one who is certain of the future can relax and today, to turn to today's business. I don't have to worry about where I'm going. I don't have to worry about how the world is going to end because I know the ultimate end is I'm going to be with God forever, a new heaven, a new earth, a whole new creation. Nothing can separate me from the love of God and Jesus Christ. So anything that's going on right now is just a distraction compared to where things are going. And I need to live aligned with that reality. And the more I live aligned with the reality of what God is doing in the world and what God has already done in Jesus Christ and how he's already turned everything upside down and revalued every value through the cross of Jesus, Christ, then I can actually live in this world with confidence and look at this world as for what it is. So N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, the world has already been turned upside down. That's what Easter is all about. It's not a matter of waiting until God eventually does something different at the end of time. God is brought his future, his putting the world to rights future into the presence in Jesus of Nazareth. And he wants the future to be implicated more and more in the present. In other words, it is through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection, that every value has been revalued. That the love of God in Jesus Christ, that the, the certainty of your salvation, that your sins are forgiven, the debt has been paid, the past 
is redeemed. The present is secure. The future is certain. That you can now speak to the powers in this world and say, you're finished. You have a short time and that's it. You're not in charge. You're not going to determine the direction of this world. You can look at this world and proclaim, you're on a slippery slope, the people who are, quote, secure right now. Your lives are not going in the right direction. You need Jesus more than ever. You can look at those who are exploiting others and you can say, enough. That is not God's future for you or for anyone else. It's time to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, as Micah had said long ago. That's subversive, but that's exactly what Asaph did. And Asaph didn't raise himself up and say, look at my faith. And No, he said, even my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So you might not be certain of a lot of stuff, but you can be certain of one thing, and that is your God and his promises for you. And that reframes everything going on in your life. That's why Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, put it this way. This is all that I've known for certain that God is love. Even if I have been mistaken on this or that point, God is nevertheless love. And God's love is what reframes the whole world, God's grace in Jesus Christ. So God will look at you and say, nevertheless, you might be ashamed of what you've done in the past. Nevertheless, I forgive you. You might be uh, feeling terrible about how you've fallen down and haven't figured things out. Nevertheless, I am with you. You might... Uh, want to give up on seeing all the things that are going on in this world. Nevertheless, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I will guide you with my righteous right heart. And my kingdom is coming. And my will will be done one day. And it is everything that is aligned with that will, everything that is going in the direction of my will in Jesus Christ will last forever. That's the kingdom that's being established now through the hearts and lives of his church throughout the world. Those promises reframe the way we can handle this world and be refreshed, knowing God is with us. So we come to the end of our sermon series on replenish. And I thought it was a necessary series during a very time that can be very exhausting and very debilitating with everything that's going on. We started it off by saying you need to rest, that is to take time to be with God apart from God each day, to rejoice in his presence, to celebrate his goodness and to magnify him and minimize the situations around you, to reflect, that is to dig deep into God's word and realize that's what defines you and how you can weather the storms of life how you can be refreshed, how we are refreshed in our relational unity that God has called us to be one and to be one in sharing our possessions, one in sharing our burdens, one in sharing truth, one in sharing even our failures that we can be built up and loved and cared for and forgiven under God's grace. And today, I think it's all about reframing it all with God's grace, that God's grace from the beginning to the end, grace is what wins. Grace is what is God's, the center of God's being is his love, 
between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, his love for his creation and his love, his grace in your life and mine reframes this all. Yes, we're in chaotic times. So be it. Our God has still got us hold nevertheless. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time where we can be replenished. We pray, Lord God, that you spur us to deeper fellowship with one another, to reading your word and letting the story of your word interpret our lives. Lord God, we uh, lift up to you in our midst, uh, people who need you more than ever. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace in the lives of uh, many people. We pray, Lord God, that you would be with Andy Blankenship as she is undergoing chemotherapy, with Pastor Zender as he is uh, still in the hospital with COVID-19. We ask, Lord, that you would be working in their lives, Lord God. We pray, Lord, too, now in just a few moments, once this service is complete, that those online and those here present will gather together to be replenished as well with, Lord Jesus, your very presence in our lives as you give us your body, your blood, as you say, take and eat, take and drink. So commune with us, Lord God. And may that communion make a difference in our world and in a difference in our lives. So bless us now, Lord God. Um, truly, give us your vision for this world, your vision for our lives. Speak to us, Lord, that we may, uh, well, that we may just rejoice and rest in you, that we may reframe what's going on in this world, that we may celebrate your goodness and grace. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.